0: Part Two of Chapter Two of Stories of Animal Sagacity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Stories of Animal Sagacity by W.H.G. Kingston. Chapter Two, Part Two, Dogs. Dogs. The Lost Child Recovered In the backwoods of North America lived a settler and his family, far away from towns and villages. The children of such families at an early age learned to take care of themselves and fearlessly wandered to a distance from home to gather wild fruits, to fish in the streams, or to search for maple trees from which to extract sugar in the autumn. One evening, the rest of the boys and girls had come in from their various occupations, except the youngest, a little fellow of four or five years old. One of his brothers thought he had gone with Silas, and Silas fancied that he was with James and Mary, but neither of them till then had missed him. The whole family, thrown into a state of consternation, hurried out with torches, for it was now getting dark, and shouted for him and searched round and round the clearing far and wide, but he was nowhere to be found. I need not describe their feelings. The next morning they set forth again, searching still further. All day they were so employed, but in vain. They began to fear that poor little Marcus had been killed by a rattlesnake or that a bear had come and carried him off the next night was a sorrowful one for all the family once more they were preparing to set out when a tall copper-colored indian habited in a dress of skins was seen coming through the forest followed by a magnificent bloodhound he approached the settlers and inquired what was the matter they told him when he desired to see the socks and shoes last worn by the child they were eagerly produced by the mother The Indian showed them to his dog, at the same time patting him on the head. The animal evidently comprehended what his master required, and scenting about for a short time, began to bay loudly, then set off, without turning to the right or to the left, through the forest, followed by the Indian and the child's father and elder brothers. He was soon out of sight, but the Indian knew by the marks on the ground the way he had taken a long long chase the hound led them till he was seen bounding back with animation in his eye and a look which told that he had been successful in his search the father and his sons hurried after the indian who closely followed his dog and to their joy discovered little marcus pale and exhausted but unhurt with the dog standing over him He soon recovered and told them how he had lost his way and lived upon berries and other wild fruits till he had sunk down, unable to go further. His life had undoubtedly been preserved by means of the sagacious bloodhound. End of the Lost Child Recovered Dog Waking Up Servants I have told you of Tyrol who used to ring the bell i will now describe another dog named dash who was still more clever when any of the servants of the family had to sit up for their master or mistress and fell asleep in their chair scarcely would they have settled themselves when the parlor bell would be heard to ring they were greatly puzzled to account for this and in vain attempted to solve the mystery Dash was a black-and-white spaniel who was generally considered a fairly clever dog but not suspected of possessing any unusual amount of knowingness. He never failed when his master told him to get anything to find it and lay it at his feet. If one glove was missing and the other shone to him, he was sure to hunt about till he discovered it. One morning, a person arrived with a letter before breakfast to be delivered into the hands of Dash's master. The man was shown into the parlor where he was about to sit down when his ears were saluted by a growl and there was Dash seated in a chair near the fireplace. The dog was within reach of the ring of the bell pull and whenever the man attempted to sit down, Dash put up his paw on the ring and growled again. At length, the stranger, curious to see what the dog would do if he persevered, sat down in a chair dash on this instead of flying at the man as some stupid dogs would have done pulled the bell rope and a servant coming in on the summons was greatly astonished when the man told him that the dog had rung the bell thus the mystery which had long puzzled him and his fellow servants was explained on comparing notes they recollected that whenever the bell sounded dash was not to be seen and there could now be no doubt that immediately he observed them closing their eyes he had hastened off to the parlour the bell-rope of which he could easily reach in order to rouse them to watchfulness In corroboration of this account, my friend Mrs. F. mentioned the case of a Newfoundland dog, which was one day accidentally shut up in the dining room when the family were out. He scratched at the door and whined loudly for a length of time, but though the servants heard him, they paid no attention. At length, as if the thought had suddenly occurred to him that whenever the bell was rung, the door was opened, he actually rang the bell right heartily a servant instantly obeyed the summons when out sprang the dog wagging his tail with delight at the result of his sagacious experiment and leaving the man in amazement at finding no person in the room. End of dog waking up servants. The sheep dog and His mistress's Cloak There were many instances of dogs showing attention to their owner's interests. Mr. Jesse mentions one which exhibits a wonderful power of reasoning in a dog. The sheep dog used to accompany the farm servants about the farm, but ran home to be fed at the dinner hour of his mistress, returning afterwards to his duty in the fields. One day, as he was approaching the house, he met a young woman whom he had never before seen, leaving it wearing his mistress's cloak, which had, in reality, been lent to her hungry as he was he nevertheless turned about and followed closely at her heels greatly to her alarm hurrying on the dog still accompanied her till she reached the house in which the brother of the dog's mistress resided with whom he was well acquainted on seeing the young woman enter it the faithful animal turned about and went quietly back to the farm it was thus evident that from seeing her go into a house which he knew he was satisfied that she was a friend of the family had she gone to a strange place he would probably have tried to take the cloak from her follow what you believe to be the right course like the faithful sheepdog and though the result may not answer your expectations do not be disheartened persevere in acting rightly the reward will come end of the sheepdog and his mistress's cloak the dog and the mare. dogs and horses frequently form friendships a newfoundland dog had attached himself to a mare belonging to his master and seemed to consider himself especially the guardian of his less sagacious companion Whenever the groom began to saddle the mare, the dog used to lie down with his nose between his paws, watching the proceeding. The moment the operation was finished, up jumped the dog, seized the reins in his mouth, and led the mare to her master, following him in his ride. On returning home, the reins being again given to him, he would lead his friend back to the stable. If, on his arrival, the groom happened to be out of the way, he would bark vehemently till he made his appearance and then hand over his charge to him. You may be young and little, but if you exercise discretion and judgment, you may assist those bigger and older than yourself. Learn from the dog, however, not to give yourself airs and consequence. You will have simply performed your duty in making yourself useful end of the dog and the mare. The two dogs and their charge. I must give you another anecdote somewhat similar to the last. A little terrier and another dog equally faithful and sagacious had attached themselves to their master's horse which they always accompanied when it went out if the master rode out on it to dinner the two dogs used to remain contentedly in the stable with their friend till it was required to carry his master home one night the gentleman had ordered his horse to be brought but waited in vain for its appearance at length the groom was summoned when he declared that he dared not take the horse out of the stable as one of the dogs was on its back and the other by its side threatening to attack every person who came up to the animal the owner, observing that the groom was a stranger, suspected at once that the dogs would not trust him and had himself to go round to the stable when the faithful animals at once delivered their charge up to him. End of the two dogs and their charge. Crib, the Bull Terrier, Saving the Life of Bob the Setter Two dogs belonged to the family of Mrs. F. One, Bob, a black setter, who was, like most of his species, an excellent swimmer. The other, Crib, a bull terrier who had no love for the water and thought himself ill-used whenever he was compelled to take a bath. Several of the family were walking along the banks of the Tweed, accompanied by the two dogs, when Bob, as usual, plunged into the water, but Crib kept close to their heels The ladies happened to be in earnest conversation and were taking no notice of the dogs when their attention was attracted by a second plunge and Bob was seen, apparently seized with a cramp, floundering in the middle of the river, Crib swimming eagerly towards him. Bob sank just as his friend reached him, but Crib seized him by the nape of the neck in his powerful jaws and thus swam with him to shore. There existed no particular friendship between the dogs, and when Cribb's natural aversion to the water is considered, it must be acknowledged that he well deserved the Humane Society's medal for his gallantry. It is truly a noble deed to save the life of a fellow creature, though it but rarely falls to the lot of any one. But though you may never have an opportunity of doing that, You may always find numerous ways of rendering assistance to those who may, in one form or the other, be in want of it. End of Crib the Bull Terrier, saving the life of Bob the Setter. The Newfoundland Dog and the Thievish Porter. A grocer owned a Newfoundland dog, which used to frequently take charge of the shop, while thus lying down with his nose between his paws, He observed one of the porters frequently visiting the till. He suspected that the man had no business to go there. He therefore watched him and, following him, observed him hide the money he had taken in the stable. The dog, on this, attempted to lead several persons in whom he had confidence towards the place by pulling in a peculiar manner at their clothes. They took no heed of him till, at length, one of the apprentices going to the stable. The dog followed him and began scratching at a heap of rubbish in a corner. The young man's attention being aroused, he watched the animal, which soon scratched up several pieces of money. The apprentice, collecting them evidently to the dog's satisfaction, took them to his master, who marked them and restored them to the place where they were discovered. The porter who, for some other cause, was suspected, was at length arrested when some of the marked coin was found on him. On being taken before a magistrate, he confessed his guilt and was convicted of the theft End of the Newfoundland dog and the thievish porter. The Terrier and the Ducklings A terrier, which lived at Dunrobin Castle many years ago, had a family of puppies which were taken from her and drowned, how she mourned her offspring and wondered why her owner had been so cruel as to allow them to be earned away. Her maternal feelings were as strong as those of other creatures, and she felt a longing to exercise them. At length, she caught sight of a brood of young ducklings. They were young and required care just like her own dear little whelps. So, seizing them, she carried them off one by one to her kennel and would allow no one to take them away. They seemed to understand that they had obtained a very good nurse, and she watched them with the most affectionate care. When, however, they made their way to the water and plunged in, she exhibited the greatest alarm, believing that they would be drowned as her own puppies had been. No sooner had she reached the shore than she picked them up in her mouth and carried them off to her kennel, resolving, probably, never to allow them to run into the same danger again. After the ducklings grew up, they were no longer willing to submit to her canine style of nursing. She again became the mother of another litter. On this, also being destroyed, she seized two cock chickens which she reared with the same care that she had done the ducklings. When, however, the young cocks began to try their voices, their foster mother was as much annoyed as she had been by the ducks going into the water and invariably did her best to stop their crowing. You will never want objects on which to exercise your kind feelings. The poor you have always with you, You must not be disheartened or dissatisfied if they persist in following a different course from that which you think they ought to. How often, when a baby, have you cried lustily when your mother or nurse heartily wished you to be silent, and as you grew older, perversely ran away into danger when they called after you? Through life, remember that little terrier, and like her, persevere in befriending those in need end of the terrier and the ducklings. The Newfoundland dog saving the mastiff. I must tell you one more anecdote of two dogs of a similar character to the one I gave you a few pages back, but in this instance they were professed enemies. It happened at Donaghady, where a peer was in the course of building. Two dogs, one a Newfoundland and the other a mastiff were seen by several people engaging in a fierce and prolonged battle on the pier. They were both powerful dogs, and though good-natured when alone, were much in the habit of thus fighting whenever they met. At length, they both fell into the sea, and as the pier was long and steep, they had no means of escape but by swimming a considerable distance. The cold bath brought the combat to an end, and each began to make for the land as best he could the newfoundland dog speedily gained the shore on which he stood shaking himself at the same time watching the motions of his late antagonist who being no swimmer began to struggle and was just about to sink on seeing this in he dashed took the other gently by the collar kept his head above water and brought him safely to land after this they became inseparable friends and never fought again and when the newfoundland dog met his death by a stone wagon running over him the mastiff languished and evidently mourned for him for a long time let this incident afford us great encouragement to love our enemies and to return good for evil since we find the feeling implanted in the breast of a dog to save the life of his antagonist and to cherish him afterwards as a friend We may never be called on to save the life of a foe, but that would not be more difficult to our natural disposition than acting kindly and forgivingly towards those who daily annoy us, who injure us or offer us petty insults. End of the Newfoundland Dog Saving the Mastiff The Newfoundland Punishing the Little Dog You remember the way Byron punished his troublesome little assailant. Another Newfoundland dog, of a noble and generous disposition, was often assailed in the same way by noisy curs in the street. He generally passed them with apparent unconcern, till one little brute ventured to bite him in the back of the leg. This was a degree of wanton insult, which could not be patiently endured, so turning around, he ran after the offender and seized him by the pole in this manner he carried him to the quay and holding him for some time over the water at length dropped him into it he did not however intend that the culprit should be drowned waiting till he was not only well ducked but nearly sinking he plunged in and brought him safely to land could you venture to look at a newfoundland dog in the face and call him a brute beast If you feel that you have acted with less generosity than he exhibited, end of the Newfoundland, punishing the little dog. The Terrier and the Bantam Among the strange friendships existing between animals of different natures, I must mention one formed between a terrier and a bantam. The little dog was suffering so severely from distemper that it was necessary to confine her to her kennel, which had open bars in front of it. A bantam cock, which lived in the yard, walking up and down, observed the poor little animal and gazed at her with looks of deep compassion. At last, he managed to squeeze himself through the bars the terrier evidently understood his feelings and from that day forward the bantam took up his abode in the dog's prison like a brave physician fearless of catching the complaint of his patient and seldom left it except to pick up his daily food when he did so the dog became uneasy whining till her friend returned the terrier became worse and the bantam redoubled his attentions and for the purpose of warming the dog took his place between her forelegs, and then the poor little invalid settled down on the bird apparently to enjoy the warmth afforded by his feathers thus day after day was passed in the closet bonds of affection till the terrier died of the disease from which she had been suffering the bantam appeared inconsolable at the loss of his friend and it was some time before he recovered his usual spirits imitate that little bantam you will find very many human beings in lieu of sick terriers to nurse as willingly as the bird gave up pleasant amusements so rouse yourself from sloth for their sakes end of the terrier and the bantam The compassionate dog which saved pussy's life i must give you another instance still more curious than the former of friendship between two animals a number of rough boys in liverpool had stoned a cat and dragged it through a pool of water no one of the many passers-by attempting to stop them when a dog coming up was moved with pity and indignation at the brutal proceedings which ought to have induced the human beings who witnessed it to interfere barking furiously he rushed in among the boys and then carried off the ill-used cat in his mouth bleeding and almost senseless to his kennel at the Talbot inn to which he belonged he there laid it on the straw licked it till it was clean and then stretched himself on it as if to impart to it some of his own warmth on its beginning to revive he set out to obtain food for it when the people of the inn, noticing his behavior, gave his patient some warm milk. Some days passed before the cat recovered and during the whole time, the dog never remitted his attentions to it. The cat, in return, exhibited the warmest gratitude to the dog and for many years afterwards, they were seen going about the streets of Liverpool together. DO YOU NOT BLUSH FOR HUMAN NATURE WHEN YOU HEAR OF BOYS EXHIBITING LESS COMPASSION THAN A DOG? BE WATCHFUL THAT YOU NEVER HAVE CAUSE TO BLUSH FOR YOURSELF. END OF THE COMPASSIONATE DOG WHICH SAVED PUSSY'S LIFE. FOP PLAYING AT HIDE AND SEEK. NOT ONLY CAN DOGS BE TAUGHT ALL SORTS OF AMUSING TRICKS, BUT THEY CAN PLAY INTELLIGENTLY AT GAMES THEMSELVES mrs lee tells us of a fox terrier named fop who used to hide his eyes and suffer those playing with him to conceal themselves before he looked up i should have liked to see jolly fop at his sports if his playfellow hid himself behind a curtain fop would go carefully past that particular curtain looking behind the others and the rest of the furniture and when he thought he had looked enough Seize the concealing curtain and drag it aside in triumph. The drollest thing, however, was to see him take his turn at hiding. He would get under a chair and fancy he could not be seen. Of course, those at play with him pretended not to know where he was hiding and it was most amusing to witness his agitation as they passed. Once, Fop was ill and had taken some homeopathic globules which were supposed to have cured him. Afterwards, when anything was the matter with him, he would stand near the medicine box and hold his mouth open to receive a pill. He possibly might have had a taste for sugar plums. Professor Owens tells us of another dog which was taught by his master to play hide-and-seek. When he heard the words, Let us have a game. He immediately hid his eyes between his paws in the most honorable manner, and when his owner had placed a sixpence or a piece of cake in the most improbable place, he started up and invariably found it. Young dogs, it may thus be seen, enjoy games of play as much as boys and girls do, and romping still more so. End of fop, playing at hide-and-seek. The Spaniel and His Friend the Partridge Here is another instance of friendship existing between a dog and a bird. A lady possessed a spaniel named Tom. After she had had Tom several years, a red-legged partridge called Bill, brought from France, was given to her. She had often seen Tom tease the cats and amuse himself with barking at birds, and was consequently afraid to place Bill near him. One day, however, Bill was brought into the room and placed on the ground, a watch being kept on Tom's movements. Bill appeared in no way alarmed at his four-footed companion, who, too, seemed not inclined to molest him. They looked at each other, shyly at first, like two children when first introduced. But Bill, hopping forward, Tom seemed pleased at the confidence shown in him in a short time they became excellent friends a saucer of bread and milk being placed on the ground they fed out of it together and afterwards would retire to a corner to sleep the partridge nestling between the dog's legs and never stirring till his companion awoke when the dog accompanied his mistress in a walk the bird which could not be taken showed much uneasiness till he returned And one day, when the partridge happened to be shut up in a room by himself, the dog searched all over the house, whining mournfully as if he feared some accident had happened to his friend. The curious friendship came to an untimely end. Tom was stolen and from that time, Bill refused food and died on the seventh day, a victim to grief for the loss of his companion. My dear young friends, let the story of this strange friendship awaken in your minds a stronger sense of love and trust, not only towards those who may be the friends of your youth, but also towards all who may have the care or oversight of you. I am afraid there are very many young persons who would display far less genuine grief at the loss of their companions than did the partridge at the loss of the spaniel. Strive, then, to let your friendship towards them be such, that your grief at their loss may be genuine. End of the Spaniel and his friend, the Partridge The Dog Which Traced His Master Dogs often show much regard for each other, as well as for other animals, but they certainly possess a still greater affection for human beings, A gentleman, having to proceed from the north of England to London by sea, left his favorite dog behind. While seated one night in the pit of Drury Lane Theatre, sometime after his arrival in the metropolis, to his amazement, his favorite sprang upon him, covering him with caresses. The dog, as soon as he found that his master had departed from the shore, broke his chain and set out on his long journey to rejoin him how he traced him must ever be a marvel perhaps he pursued the line of coast till he reached london where it is possible he may have recovered some trace of his lost friend by scent at the landing place this however is so improbable that it is more likely he made the discovery by that incomprehensible power which we call instinct End of the Dog Which Traced His Master The Dog Which Traveled Alone By Railway A Preston paper gave some time ago an account of a dog which traveled alone by railway in search of his master. In this instance, the animal acted as much as any human being would have done. The dog, which was well known to the railway officials from frequently traveling with his master, presented himself at one of the stations on the Fleetwood, Preston, and Longridge line. After looking round for some length of time among the passengers and in the carriages, just as the train was about to start, he leaped into one of the compartments of a carriage and lay down under a seat. Arrived at Longridge, he made another survey of the passengers, and, after waiting till the station had been cleared, he went into the railway station hotel, searched all the places on the ground floor, then went and made a tour of inspection over the adjoining grounds. But being apparently unsuccessful, he trotted back to the train and took his late position just as it was moving off. On reaching the station from which he had first started, he looked round as before, then took his departure. It seems that he now proceeded to the General Railway Station at Preston, and after repeating the looking-round performance, placed himself under one of the seats in a train, which he had singled out of the many that are constantly popping in and out, and in due time arrived in Liverpool. He now visited a few places where he had been before with his master. He remained overnight in Liverpool, and visited Preston early again the following morning, Still not finding his missing master, he, for the fourth time, took the train. On this occasion, however, to Lancaster and Carlisle, at which latter place, his sagacity, as well as the persevering tact he had displayed in prosecuting his search, were rewarded by finding his master. Their joy at meeting was mutual. I cannot too often repeat it. Let duty be your master be not less persevering in pursuing it than were the dogs I have told you about in seeking their masters. End of the dog which traveled alone by railway. Neptune or Faithful to Trust At an inn in Wimborne at Dorsetshire, near which a town I resided, was kept, some years ago, a magnificent Newfoundland dog called Neptune. His fame was celebrated far and wide. Every morning he was accustomed, as the clock of the minster struck eight, to take in his mouth a basket containing a certain number of pence and to carry it across the street to the shop of a baker, who took out the money and replaced it by its value in rolls. With these, Neptune hastened back to the kitchen and speedily deposited his trust. It is remarkable that he never attempted to take the basket, nor even to approach it on Sunday mornings when no rolls were to be obtained. On one occasion, when returning with the rolls, another dog made an attack upon the basket for the purpose of stealing its contents. On this, the trusty fellow, placing it on the ground, severely punished his assailant and then bore off his charge in triumph. He met his death with many other dogs in the place, from poison, which was scattered about the town by a semi-insane person in revenge for some fancied insult he had received from the inhabitants. Like trusty Neptune, deserve the confidence placed in you by battling bravely against all temptations to act dishonestly. Your friends may never know of your efforts to do so, but your own peace of mind will be reward enough. End of Neptune or Faithful to Trust End of Part 2 of Chapter 2 of Stories of Animal Sagacity